0: Welcome to the very first RentBits Rental Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dan Doherty, and I am very excited to have our first ever guest, Mark Cunningham, who I've known for almost a decade now. He's the the president uh, of Grace Management. He's been there for 23 years. His dad actually started the business 40 years ago or so, Mark? Yeah,
1: 1978. We've been around for a while.
0: 1978. Now, uh, Grace Management, they're, they're now one of the largest uh, property
1: management firms here in Denver, Colorado. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with you here on your, your first inaugural podcast. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs>
0: well, let's, uh, let's jump right on into it. Now, uh, we can't talk about Colorado without first talking about marijuana or, or, or Mary Jane, as the, as the kids call it these days. Now, most of my listeners know that a couple years ago, uh, Colorado legalized recreational use of marijuana. Now, that poses a lot of problems for, for landlords and property managers where we get a lot of questions where they ask, can they, can they not allow Marijuana smoking within their rental property, their condo, their house? What are the limitations or the rules on marijuana?
1: Yeah, great question, and certainly a very big topic uh, right now. We, we uh, deal with this on a very, very regular basis. So, a couple things to keep in mind. As the law was passed in Colorado, now this is Colorado specific, but as the law was passed in Colorado, it had a carve out exemption specific for our industry because as landlords, we're very concerned, we don't necessarily want to allow individuals in the property to smoke uh, or worse yet to grow marijuana. So there is a carve out in the, uh, the ruling for that, the law for that, but in order to not allow it, all landlords have to do, and it's not a big deal, but you gotta make sure you get this done, is you have to specifically not allow it in your lease. So if your lease is silent, it doesn't say anything about marijuana in the lease, then by default, you're allowing it. That argument could could be made. So what you wanna make sure you do, what landlords wanna do is in the lease, you wanna have a specific provision. And really, we think it should be more than a provision. It should probably be an addendum. Uh, For example, we use what's commonly referred to as a crime-free, drug-free housing addendum. And so this is addendum to the lease. And what this addendum is going to say, amongst other things, is the growing smoking of marijuana is, although legal in the state of Colorado, is prohibited per the terms of this lease agreement, and violators may be evicted. Just as something as straightforward as that. And many leases do already have this crime-free, drug-free addendum. And <clears throat> when this law was passed in Colorado, many landlords thought, you know, well, well, I'm okay, I've already got a crime-free, drug-free addendum. That says you know illegal use of drugs is not allowed. I'm covered. Well, the problem came when suddenly marijuana wasn't a an illegal drug for the state. So the argument again could be made legally that well your your drug free addendum doesn't cover marijuana because it just says illegal drugs. So going back to the steps a landlord wants to take, they want to make sure they have that cr- crime free drug free addendum, and that addendum needs to specifically state that marijuana is not gonna be allowed in the property. As long as they do those two things, then they're gonna cover themselves to keep that, uh, keep the tenant from doing that. And you, you kind of want to think of it in terms of like smoking, right? I mean, smoking, I just mean a, like a cigarette. Smoking cigarettes is legal, that's, that's totally legal to do. But can a landlord prohibit it? Of course they can, but it has to be in a lease. Well, smoking marijuana is legal in Colorado. Can a landlord prohibit it? Absolutely, but they have to specifically prohibit it in the terms of the lease.
0: That is so interesting. So, I think so many landlords they might just have something written that says absolutely no smoking, um, no smoking tobacco, no smoking marijuana, no smoking, no doing drugs, and they think they're safe. But hearing you, um, it, and I didn't even think about this, but that would not eliminate a tenant from growing marijuana within your apartment or condo or a house. You'd have to specifically say, that you cannot have any drugs
1: whatsoever, you cannot grow or smoke marijuana within your property, correct? Correct, and the growing is, that's the real danger. Uh, I mean, whether or not a landlord wants to allow their tenants to ingest or to smoke marijuana, that's, that's their call. But the growing of marijuana in a residential rental property can be very, very damaging to the property. So, you know, forget the morality of it, that's not what, what we're looking at here. We're looking at the fact that if they're going to have that in there, you've got a high degree of humidity, they're tapping into electrical, Uh, it can do significant damage to a property. So we highly recommend that landlords do not allow their tenants to grow marijuana. And that's another reason you want to kind of do these inspections. Because if you've got a single family house and someone's going to be looking for a property that they can kind of come into and illegally grow marijuana, well, they're looking for single family homes. That's what they want. So it's important to be doing inspections on these things to ensure uh, that just because it's in the lease doesn't mean they're not gonna do it. You still need to be checking to ensure that uh, these tenants aren't sneaking it in either.
0: Very interesting. Well, well, speaking about potentially ruining a property, um, I I don't know if you know this, but uh, I had about nine rental properties when I first moved out here to Colorado uh, in 2002. And of the eight of the nine, I would allow pets and i simply just allowed pets they had to be a certain size and breed um, but i just collected a pet policy um a, a pet deposit and i thought i was good seemed i was good knock on wood i never had any problems with any of the pets but after doing additional research it sounds like that was probably a bad idea for me to have a pet deposit. I think you you agree with that. I think I heard a video of you saying that you should not accept a pet deposit, but something else. Can you elaborate on that a little more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And on the pet side of things, you know, keep in mind in Colorado, about 75% of tenants come with pets. So if you as a landlord are saying, hey, we're not gonna take pets on this property, you're cutting your potential tenant market by 75%. That's a big, big deal. So we do recommend to our landlords to accept pets, you know, to keep it, uh, have restrictions in place. You're going to have breed restrictions and size restrictions and age restrictions. But generally speaking, uh, you want to be considered somewhat of a pet-friendly landlord. And pets, typically speaking, when a landlord does their due diligence, don't cause that damage as it relates to when you decide to allow a pet you know, the question comes up well gosh should i charge a pet deposit and you really don't want to charge a pet deposit and I'll give you an example of, of why you don't want to let's say per, let's, let's say that house that you just said Dan you've got uh, you had a you have a house you're the landlord and you're showing it to a prospect and and you are kind of ambivalent about pets and, and so it's renting for $1000 a month let's say and, and let's pretend the security deposit is equal to one month's rent so you're showing a prospect this house. And they say, well, gosh, this is great, Dan. I'd love to rent it from you. And and what's the rent? You say, $1,000. And they say, well, what's the deposit? $1,000. And they say, oh, well, I, I do have a pet as well. And you say, you know what? No mm-hmm. problem. I love pets. All I'm going to do though is I'm going to charge you an additional 500 pet deposit. So you're going to pay me a $1,000 security deposit, and a $500 pet deposit. And they say, great, we're good to go. They sign the lease. They move in. They pay the deposit of a thousand bucks. They pay the de- pet deposit of 500. Everybody's happy. Well, let's fast forward to the end of the lease. So 12 months comes and goes, tenant moves out, and you do a walk through that property, and it's okay, but the problem is they didn't they didn't pay their last month's rent. So they owe you now $1,000 in back rent. In addition to that, they didn't pay their utility bill, and there's a hole in the wall, and they've got a late fee, and so they owe you some other funds, and, and that, the total amount they owe you happens to be $1,500. You think, great. I've got a deposit of 1,500, they owe me 1,500 in back rent and legal fees, I'm gonna retain that and we're all we're all good. Well, now here's where the problem lies. Because if we go back to your original lease agreement, you collected $1,000 in security deposit and the other 500 you collected was what? Pet deposit. Pet deposit. So the question comes up, can you use a pet deposit for damages that are not pet specific? Uh. <laughs> And the answer is no. So in that scenario, I just explained what you would find yourself having to do is write a check back to your vacating tenants for 500 bucks because their pet didn't cause any of the damage or the deductions to the deposit you're trying to retain. Right. So ideally, what you should have done in that scenario is to go back to our conversation on day one, and you know, people are thinking of moving in and they say, well, gosh, I've got a pet. And you say, well, no problem. You, you can bring your pet in. But what we're going to do is we're going to increase the security deposit by $500. So now instead of having a $1,000 deposit and a $500 pet deposit, you simply have a $1,500 security deposit. Now, legally speaking, you can use that deposit for any damages that are in the property, whether it's rent owed, whether it's damage to the property pet related or not anything you can apply that to per the terms of your lease agreement
0: gosh that makes so much more sense than having a separate pet deposit but so many landlords and I'm assuming even some property managers may may just have a separate pet deposit do you see that quite often
1: oh it's so common it's so common yeah because it it sounds great I mean when you think about it well I'll just charge a pet deposit so this is one of the uh This is one of the things we we teach property managers as well is, hey, it's not you're not working in the best interest of your client if you're charging a pet deposit. Because who wants to have to write that check back to a tenant who maybe didn't pay rent simply because you made what amounts to a clerical error in labeling it a pet deposit? Interesting. And uh, another question that comes up commonly is from landlords is well. Can I just make it a non-refundable pet deposit? And you can make it a non-refundable pet fee, but what you want to be careful of is the word refundable and the word deposit mean opposite things per, per state law. So if you call it a non-refundable pet deposit and you're standing in front of a judge, a judge is going to say, well, there's no such thing as a non-refundable deposit. Either it's non-refundable or it's a deposit, but it can't be both. So therefore, the tenant's getting it back. So you could, in that, if we go to that same example, you could say to that tenant, well, you know what, there's going to be a $1,000 security deposit, which is refundable, and there's going to be a $500 non-refundable pet fee. You could do that. Uh, so there's no right or wrong with that, but you want to be cautious to ensure you do not label anything a non-refundable deposit because that's, that'll get you into trouble legally.
0: That's a good, that's a good point. Good tip. What are so? If you look at, we talked about the marijuana. We talked about pets. Those are two major ones, specifically in Colorado. What are some other important clause, you know, clauses that you recommend landlords adding within their their contractual agreements with their tenants?
1: Yeah, I'll give you two quick ones. Uh, and the first one relates to access of the property, particularly speaking for inspections. You know, let's go back to our our marijuana issue. Let's pretend that uh, you as the landlord suspect that maybe that tenant is growing marijuana in the basement. Well, how do you get in to access the property? Can you just go walk up and knock on the door and say you'd like to do an inspection? No, you really can't do that. So you want to ensure that your lease agreement has a clause that specifically states what kind of notice you as a landlord need to give to access the property. You want to have it very, very specific. So it can't just say, with reasonable notice, landlord may access the property. Because what's reasonable to one person may be unreasonable to another. So ideally, you want to have a clause in your lease that says something to the effect of landlord may access property with a 48-hour written notice to tenant. So therefore, if you need to access the property, whether it be to inspect, to uh, show it to a prospective buyer, to repair something, whatever it is, you just need to give a forty-eight hour notice to your tenant, and you can access the property. Can that be in the
0: form in, in of um, email, or does it have to be, you know, posted to their door?
1: Depends on what your lease says. So your lease should define that. Your lease would want to say uh, note, and it would have an, This would be another section of the lease where it talks about notices. What what are acceptable types of notices? So you ideally want to have that say you know, any notice given uh, is legal per color, or uh, per the terms of this lease, whether it be written, phone, email, uh, but you would define that per the terms of the lease. We we had a uh, instance not too long ago here where we were doing a regular property inspection. It was an occupied property. It's a single family home. And uh, we have a a third party inspector who does all these inspections for us. And they look for things like uh, lease violation issues, deferred maintenance, that type of stuff. And he came into my office after the inspection. He said, Mark, I've kind of got a strange one here. I was doing the property inspection and Everything was going great. It's uh, two kind of younger guys, single family home, and uh, we're, we're walking through the property. Everything looks great. We get down to the, the basement. It's an unfinished basement. and uh, In half the basement, there was kind of a door partitioning off to the other half of the basement, and the door was locked. And I said, well, I, to the tenant, I said, well, I, I need to get into this area here. And the, the tenant said, well, gosh, I, I don't have the key. Uh, my roommate has the key and he's not here. So the inspector said, Well, I, I do need to get into this property or I do need to get in here to inspect it? So well, I just, I don't have a key. Can't we just skip mm. it? No, no, I need to get in the, into this area. So the tenant kind of paused and said, Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a $1,000 not to go in that door. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine they were throwing right. marijuana inside there. So uh, he had to come back and the guy, of course, found the key. And at that point in time, the uh, room was emptied out, but there was a large tarp in the garage with a lot of little briefy, lean, green things poking out from underneath. So those those are the reasons you want to those specify what kind of notice you need to give for right. access.
0: Sure. And
1: I'll, I'll give you another one, uh, important lease clause. And that would be as it relates to the return of the security deposit. So the state of Colorado has a law that says, security deposits must be returned to the tenant within 30 days of the expiration of the lease agreement or when the tenant moves out. So, you've got, you as a landlord have 30 days to return that security deposit unless your lease specifically states you have 60 days. So, you can take up to 60 days if the lease gives you up to 60 days as the landlord. But if your lease is silent, you only have 30 days. So, you really want to put into that lease agreement that you as the landlord shall. Ref- uh, complete the security deposit disposition to the tenant within 60 days of move out, and then you have 60 days to do so. Yes. Now, it's, th- this is a big deal because Colorado state law also says, "Hey, landlord, if you forget to get this done within the 30 or 60 days, depending on what your lease says, if you go one day over, just one day, let's say uh, you forget, and and you thought there were 31 days in the month, there were only 30, and so you hit that day 31." You are now liable to the tenant for three times the amount of the security. What? Deposit, irregardless of damage to the property. Three times. Okay. So, Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, sorry. So, so, so here, I'll, I'll give you an example. All right. So let's, let's make it real here. Uh, tenants in the property, tenant moves out, tenant had a thousand dollar security deposit and tenant trashed the property and they didn't pay their last month's rent. Right. So there's going to be five grand in back rent expenses and and you as a landlord i mean it's taking you some time to get all this, this data together because you're repairing things you're fixing things you're getting copies of invoices you just haven't done that security deposit return and around rolls day 31 you just haven't mailed it out yet well you have just now forfeit your right to retain anything so all that tenant has to do is give you a nice little letter stating that they intend to file uh, a claim for their security deposit. And if they go stand before a judge, all they have to do is say, Mr. Judge, this landlord uh, did not return my security deposit or give me a a statement of what was due within 30 days. And the landlord would say, well, do you have any proof of that, Mr. Landlord? No, I do not judge. Judge says, okay, Mr. Landlord, write a check to the tenant for $3,000, the amount of their security deposit that you illegally retained.
0: Wow, just like that, three times
1: just like that three times. Now the landlord could still go after the tenant for damages on a separate claim, but uh, they waive their right to retain that security deposit. So that's a big, big deal. You need to make sure, even if you're retaining the full amount, you need to send out a written statement that's gonna itemize all the deductions, show what was retained, if you if you miss that one, you're, you're in trouble. Wow. So,
0: so even if you're a landlord, you're not using a property manager, you better make sure you have your contract up to date. You have your clauses that you need to have in there. Uh, you better make sure that, at least in the state of Colorado, that you, you, by law, it's 30, you said it's 30 days, but you can extend it to 60 days if you have it written in the contract. But if you're one day over, you owe three times the amount of the deposit back to the tenant.
1: That is correct. And many other states have similar rules. So, whether you're in Colorado or not, you need to ensure as a landlord, you are checking with your real estate commission for your state to see what rules are in place. Colorado is kind of in the middle of that spectrum between tenant friendly and landlord friendly on the legal spectrum. Some states skew very, very far to the tenant side and they have much more stringent rules as it relates to deposit. There's a lot of states that have a two week Time frame. You don't get 30 days, you get two weeks. So you need to be ins- to ensure that you are very, very clear on the rules and regs of your specific state. And some municipalities have even uh, stricter rules. So you've got to, if you're, if you're selling, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to scare landlords away, right. <laughs> but you just need to ensure that you're following yeah. those rules.
0: Yeah. And, and do they change often or, or once they have a really tight contract, they can reuse that or should every, every year should they revisit
1: with their lawyer um, well. I think you need to check check every year. I mean, Colorado just passed uh, some new rules as it relates to uh, tenant law. So yes, you need to be checking, ensuring that at least on an annual basis uh, that you're finding out the new rules and regs as it relates to tenant landlord law, because municipalities are changing them on, on a regular basis. I mean, you're, we're starting to hear a lot of talk of rent control in the Colorado area even now. That's that's not a conversation we've we've had. Uh, they just passed some some uh, rules in California as it relates to rent control. So things are changing at a rapid wow. pace. Now, I mean, we have a couple of
0: minutes left, but I wanted to, you know, a lot of our listeners wanted to um, see what you thought about the uh, Colorado rental market. Where do you see it going? Uh, clearly, grace management has been, has seen everything over the last 40 years from various recessions and so forth. Uh, and then you personally, over 23 years, where do you see, you know, it's very cyclical, right? I think we're on a 10-year a or so bull run. 2008 was pretty disastrous. Um, but specifically in Colorado, I mean, appreciation for houses is going through the roof. They're not building as many um, for-sale properties as they were in the past with some of the laws that we have. But where do you see the Denver and Colorado rental market going within the next 12, 24, 36 months?
1: Yeah, And that's, you know, obviously, this is my opinion. So anything can happen, and and crazy things certainly do happen. But historically, looking at the market and kind of where we're at right now, I think, personally, I still think we have upside to go on rental rates. I don't think we're, I don't think it's as unaffordable in Colorado as we so often hear in in the press. And if you don't believe me, just call somebody who lives on the East Coast or the West Coast and ask them their opinion, and they'll tell you Colorado is a bargain. So, uh, I think we still have room to go on our rents where I would stay away from as an investor if if you're a new investor and you walk into our office and say hey I, I want to invest in real estate where should I buy what well, what we would say do not buy right now is kind of the small entry level condos or townhomes or the small multifamily stuff reason being we see that that at, is getting overbuilt right now in the Denver market there's so much new class A high-rise, high-end, multifamily properties. You know, these are the big, the big cranes you see up in Denver when, and on the roof they've got the dog park and the swimming pool and the white room and everything, you know, under the sun uh, with, with tenant amenities. And so we're seeing a lot of tenants move into those types of properties and, and they have somewhat overbuilt those because they're offering things like free rent to tenants. They're offering things like $99 security deposit moves you in. So if, if you're the small landlord and you own a little condo loft a couple blocks away from that, how are you gonna compete? That's gonna to be tough. No one's gonna to wanna to rent your property when they can go rent a brand new class A building uh, with, with a month and a half free rent moving in. So that, so we do not like that, that um, product from an investor standpoint. What we do like are the single family homes. The single family home market from a rental standpoint is just so much more stable uh, through both ups and downturns. There's always strong demand for single-family homes, even as the market fluctuates. You're going to have stronger demand. You're going to have less price fluctuations. Uh, it's just a much more stable market. So we have seen demand for single-family continue to rise. That is that is showing no signs of slowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so what you're saying is is supply for the the apartments. Uh, we have I don't know 20 or 40, 20 or 30 cranes in downtown Denver. The supply is is, is catching up to demand, which potentially is suppressing uh, rental rates for the near future. Most likely, apartment buildings will have to offer more concessions and so forth. But the single family homes, um, we just don't have enough uh, a physical space to increase the supply relative to demand. So, so you're going to see. Uh, an increase in rental rates, at least for the short term, is what you think, correct?
1: Correct. And we're already seeing an oversupply of the uh, multifamily type properties. Ninety uh, percent of the properties that are going up right now in downtown Denver are wow. Class A. So there, there just there is no Class B. There is no Class C. Everything is high end, and so that is compressing rental rates down because there's just not the demand uh, able to fill all those units. So that's that's you know, is that a a sign of a bubble. I, I don't know, but it's certainly not something I'd be putting my money into uh, as an investor. Uh, I would much prefer to have single family investments uh, for the reasons you just wow. said.
0: Well, Mark, you are a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for being our our first um, speaker uh, on on the Rent Bits Rental Talk. We appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, Dan, I appreciate it. If people want information on uh, you know, a lot of that landlord information. We've got a lot of these types of like free video type things, and we're happy to help. Our website, uh, if I'm able to give that, is uh, is rentgrace.com. Thank you
0: so much. Yeah, rentgrace. You have a lot of great videos on rentgrace for both landlords and even other property managers. So go check that out.